Well, I'm going to pray one more time because we just we pray too much. That's just one of the things that we do. And I'm okay with praying too much. Uh, so join me. Lord Jesus, um, we pray uh, that you would speak today through Scripture. Uh, we pray that you would do really good work in our lives. Um, and we pray, God, where we're tired, that you'd give us energy. Um, we're kind of unfocused and, and not really listening to what you're having to say, that you'd, um, I don't know, chip through hard hearts maybe or, or dig through our ears. God, I think we really want to listen to you most of the time, but it's hard. It's just hard. There's a lot going on in our lives most of the time. And we pray that you would speak to us today in Scripture. That you'd help us to break through some barriers that are in front of us. That you would lead us into a brand new life. In the name of Jesus, amen. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 6 today. So Joshua 6, turn with me in a Bible. We're in a series called It's Go Time. And we are going along with the people of Israel and... They're following Joshua, and Joshua's following God, and they're all stepping into the promised land. We're seeing what they see. We're fighting alongside them. We're watching as God just blows obstacles, I don't know, right out of their path, makes them disappear. So uh, the passage we're going to read today in Joshua 6, we're going to read a little, and then we're going to talk about it a little, read and talk and read and talk and read and talk. So uh, keep a finger or something in your Bible, or don't lock the screen, and uh, yeah, it'll... It'll be good. All right, so Joshua chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Now, Jericho was shut up inside and out because of the Israelites. No one came out and no one went in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have handed Jericho over to you along with its king and its soldiers. We're going to stop there for now. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So no sooner do the people of Israel step into what God is doing. No sooner have they begun to follow God, no sooner have they obeyed him, and they find themselves suddenly confronted with a massive obstacle. They hit a wall, which doesn't really seem right. I mean, if you're telling a story about following God and doing the sorts of things that God wants you to do, there shouldn't be walls, right? You shouldn't be hitting obstacles. The word promised land at some level just implies like a good place, a place where I would be really happy and where life would be good and easy. And people who follow Jesus, right? Like, if Jesus is on your side, life should be easy. There really shouldn't be obstacles in that way. And the book of Joshua is essential to following Jesus for one very important reason. It will tell you that, yes, life is great and good and amazing when you follow God. And also, you're going to face obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. And you will overcome each and every one of them, not because you're so great, not because you're so smart, not because you're so strong, but because God is big and powerful and dangerous. Likewise, if you follow Jesus, it's very easy to follow Jesus. Life is great and amazing and wonderful because you're following Jesus. But you're also following Jesus, and Jesus doesn't ever take the easy road. Jesus walks down some very difficult paths, and he'll consistently tell us, look, if you want to follow me, it's going to be like going to the cross every single day. And I don't really know if this is encouraging or not. Right? I, like, I, I've been thinking about it, but I, the guarantee that you are going to come up against obstacles, I don't know if that's encouraging or not. But maybe you've been trying to follow God lately and you feel like you're hitting walls. All of a sudden, like, you, you were, I thought I was doing what I was supposed to be doing, but I, I, it's like I'm blocked. And it's starting to make me wonder if maybe I've been going the right way or if I'm going the wrong way. And that's possible, by the way. Sometimes we hit walls because we're going the wrong direction. We're not going the way that God is calling us to go. 
Sometimes we hit walls because we're doing exactly what God is calling us to. Sometimes we're suddenly blocked. There's this huge obstacle in our way because we are going exactly the direction that God has called us to. That's what happens to the people of Israel. They step into the promised land and there's this huge wall. And I would imagine that for some of you, if I start talking about walls long enough, you're going to start thinking about particular things in your life that are in the way. Maybe one big thing or maybe lots of little things. Maybe your wall looks like debt. The fact that you never really finished school. That you, you did finish school and now you don't know what to do. Without finishing school would solve all of those problems. That there are these issues in some relationships and they're old and they're complicated and you're not really sure how to resolve them. There's some brokenness in your story maybe that's been kind of crippling your future and you're not sure quite what that means. Maybe it's just that you're tired all the time and, and that doesn't seem good. Like something's wrong in life and you don't really know. Or that God is calling you to do something in the world that we live in, some big act of justice or some small act of kindness, and you know that you're called to do it, but it just, it's overwhelming and it's scary, and it's in the way. And it probably feels a little bit impossible, and all I can tell you is this. This story is about a God who will absolutely put you in contact with obstacles and who demolishes them. We have a God who does impossible, who's in the business of ridiculous. We have a God who delivers people who are stuck. We have a God who conquers the unconquerable, who raises the dead. We have a God who redeems the irredeemable. I am living proof of that. So I promise you this, if there is a wall in your life and you have no idea how it's ever going to come down, if it is absolutely between you and what God is calling you to, Try talking to God about it and see if he can tear it down. Because that's what God and Joshua do in this story. See, God says in verse 2, see? And Joshua says, yeah, I see. I see a city surrounded by walls that is impenetrable. No one is going in. No one is coming out. This is impossible. Even if there weren't walls, it would be impossible. There are enemies inside this city. That's what we're trying to break through. Like if the walls come down, then we have to fight. And it's not like we're some great black ops special forces. People, I mean, these are desert nomads who've never been in a fight, and they're going to go up against hardened, dangerous warriors inside the city. I'm kind of glad the walls are there at some level. Like, if those things come to, I don't really know what you want me to do right now. And God says, see, you've already won. God is annoying sometimes. I see the wall, and he says, yeah, but you don't see what's behind the wall. Victory. I don't see the victory. I do see the wall, though. Do you see the wall? We've already lost. He says, no, you've already won. Now this, there are two very different perspectives in this story, and often very different perspectives. We come up against obstacles in our life. One is an extremely human one. Accurate. It's reasonable. It's rational. I'm looking at the world in front of me. It seems bad. I think I've gotten myself into some real trouble, and I'm not sure I'm ever going to make it. And like, if we put this down on paper, I've already lost. And then there's God's perspective, which doesn't see any of that as a problem. It's extremely unrealistic and extremely irrational because God doesn't have to play by the same rules because God is so much stronger than I am. So God looks at Joshua and says, I don't think you understand. These people are scared of you. They're trying to protect themselves with these walls, but they are trapped behind them. They are sitting ducks. I have delivered over to you, he says. It's king. It's mighty warriors. 
how do we get God's perspective? How do we start seeing things the way that God sees them? We have to start moving. Let's go back to verse 3. You shall march around the city, all the warriors circling the city once. Now, this is a bad plan. Right? If you're going to reconnaissance, right? if you want to go circle a city and find weak spots and figure out a plan of attack, you send a couple of guys sneakily. You don't send the entire army. You give up all element of surprise. This is a bad plan. We're going to circle the city once, and I can already tell you it's locked up. There's no way in to those walls. There's not like a back door that somebody left open. Circle the city once. This you're going to do for six days. Because now we're just walking in circles around a city with seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. That will be very useful in a war. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. Because we haven't walked around the city enough times. That's the problem. We've got to keep walking around the city. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, the priests blowing the trumpets. Well, at least we'll have music. Now, when they make a long blast on the ram's horn, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout. The wall of the city will fall down flat, and all the people shall charge straight ahead. So Joshua, son of Nun, summoned the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. Have seven priests carry seven trumpets of ram's horns in front of the Ark of the Lord. To the people, he said, Go forward. March around the city. Have the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. Stop there. So how do we get God's perspective? We start moving. We start walking in circles. Now, I, I'll tell you, you walk around a city like that once, and you'll get a real sense of how big it is, acres and acres of land, how thick those walls are. You do it again, and you're going to start to feel the mileage. You do it again and again and again, and more and more and more. What looked impossible is now something that you have a very good view, just how impossible it is. God here is a bit like a magician saying, hey, do you see this box? Come knock. It's a real box. Do you see any trapdoors? You're going to be blown away when I make this thing disappear. Really check it out. Really stand on it. It's going to be amazing when this all goes away. These people have a very good view of these walls. And I think a lot of the time in our life when we, we find ourselves stuck behind something, what we mostly want to do is run away um, to avoid the conflict, to just not think about it so much because it's impossible and it's ridiculous. And so I'm just going to kind of avoid things. And what God seems to be telling me to do is to engage to continue focusing on how impossible this situation is. That's something that we do in prayer on a regular basis. We talk to God about how big the wall is and how crazy the wall is. After a while, it just starts to feel pointless. Like, all I'm telling you is how impossible it is, and the more I say it, the more it's obvious to me that you haven't really done anything. It's like I'm just walking in circles six times for an entire week, and then seven times in one day, over and over and over again. All the people show up, and that's a really important thing. You want to see things the way God sees? You want to see walls start crumbling down? You got to show up. You got to move. It can't be something you do from an armchair. There can't be some person in Israel sitting in a... Like, I kind of walked halfway around the city. I'm done for today. I'm not going to do it tomorrow either. I mean, I, I get it. There's a big city. I'm not going to keep walking around this again and again and again. And I think for us in prayer, a lot of the time, somebody says, well, you should pray about that. I prayed about it. Kind of. Mostly it was just annoying, and I watched some TV, and it's not like I'm going to wake up every day and pray about this again and again and again because the prayer isn't working, because we have kind of a fast food mentality about God. Like, it should be like three, maybe four minutes, and if you don't solve my problem, then you're probably just, you can't do it, and maybe you're not real, and I'm done praying, and you suck, by the way. And 
And that's, I think, one of the same reactions we have when it comes to showing up to church on a Sunday. Well, I'm going to come if I feel like it, or I'll come if it's easier. I'll come from time to time. But these people, they go around this city in worship. These are priests. There's an ark. People are playing trumpets. This is a slow, steady worship march all around this city. When we show up in worship, we show up together. And we show up to shout, and what we're shouting about is the walls that we see in our city, and the walls that we see in our own lives, and the walls that we see in the lives of other people. How we keep coming into contact with them. We keep banging up into them. We don't want them to be there anymore. We've got to tear those things down. And it's not something you can do from a couch on a Saturday morning while you're watching TV. It's not something you can do well, conveniently. It's going to take something from us. We can't make every single family gathering and also be people who regularly show up in prayer and worship. We can't climb the corporate ladder as fast as we'd like to, as cleanly as we'd like to. It's a question of priorities. At some level, somewhere along the way, the question is, are you going to keep doing this or do you have something better to do? You're going to keep walking around these walls demanding that God tear them down? And from time to time, it's going to start to feel pointless because he hasn't really done it yet. And the question is, are you going to wake up again and believe the same thing and cry out to God in the same way and shout with the same kind of confidence you did yesterday? I can tell you this. I have prayed for things for weeks and for years, and I've definitely gotten tired of it. And there are things in my life that I've been praying for over and over and over again, and I feel dumb that I'm still asking God because apparently he's not doing anything, and yet I know that there's a chance that tomorrow he will. There's a chance that he's just waiting to see how serious I am about this, how, how much I really want that wall to come down. And the reason I know this is true is because there are other things I've prayed for for really long periods of time, and then I've seen God move in incredible ways. Joshua has seen God move in incredible ways. At verse 7, he tells the people, go forward in my translation. It's a very weird verb in Hebrew. It's the same verb that comes up in chapter 3 when the people of Israel are supposed to cross over the river. He's basically telling these people, cross over, but that doesn't make any sense, so the translators go with go forward because essentially what Joshua is reminding us and the narrator is reminding us is the people of Israel have seen God do something incredible already. In fact, the book of Joshua is full of God sort of setting up these impossible moments. Hey, don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. Now you're trapped in a city. Oh, I'm breaking you out of the city. Hey, look, there's this raging river. Ha! No more river. And they walk across on dry land. And all of a sudden, in this moment, you see this crazy walled city. And Joshua is looking at the people of Israel saying, do we believe God can do it again? Do we want to see an encore performance of the God of the universe showing us just what he can do when faced with big obstacles? Who's bigger, God or the city of Jericho? So the people get up and they start marching. And the thing that I think is really important is that the plan is that the walls are going to fall down and then there's a fight. A lot of the time when you hear the story of Jericho, you think it's all about the walls. Once the walls come down, it's over. That's not what happens. The walls come down and then there's a battle. The wall is actually a barrier to the next barrier. It's the obstacle to the next obstacle. The people of Israel are actually trying to get into a fight, which is a, a crazy thing to think about. I don't know if you know the story of Mother Teresa. She's an incredible woman. She was a, a nun, actually, and in a variety of different countries, but she made her, I guess she became famous, which is a weird thing to say about Mother Teresa. She became famous in Calcutta in India because she worked with the untouchables, because she worked with lepers, because she loved people that nobody loved, because she talked about value, that God loves people who nobody else cares about, people who society would call untouchable. She spent time with lepers and the sick and just gave her life away. And eventually she won a Nobel Peace Prize for this, which is a really amazing thing. Mother Teresa is an amazing human being because she believed in an amazing God, and it transformed her. But the thing about Mother Teresa that nobody seems to remember is no one wanted her to go to India. 
They all thought it was a terrible idea. Her bishop was against it. She had to fight him. She wrote letters. He'd say no. She'd write letters to his bosses. He'd talk to his bosses. They'd all say no. She'd bring the, the director of her order in. The bishop would talk to her. She'd say, yeah, no, actually, you can't go to India. The nation of India was really against Mother Teresa going and turning their society upside down. She fought and she fought and she fought just to get to a place where this, she could then fight. There's something about walking around this city that I think prepares the people of Israel spiritually for something that God's going to do. We think it's going to be easy, and it's hard. And it's hard in a weird way that it almost trains us for how hard it's going to be. Because people who fight to have a fight are the kind of people who have grit and courage and tenacity. So these people, they're, they're walking around the city in the hope that God will use them to save some people. We're going to keep reading. Picking up at verse 15, the reason we're skipping so much is that it repeats basically word for word. They walk around the city. They walk. The point of the story is to really drive home that this takes a really long time. On the seventh day, they rose early at dawn. This is verse 15. And marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. Notice the repetition. At the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Notice how he believes. He believes that it's already over. The city and all that is in it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers we sent. And then I'm skipping down to verse 20. So the people shouted. The trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpets, they raised a great shout. And the wall fell down flat, so the people charged straight ahead into the city and captured it. So what happens in the story is Joshua and all the people of Israel, they do exactly what God says. It takes a really long time. And they see these walls come crumbling down. But I am sure there were some people in Israel who were thinking, why are we tearing down these walls? There are all these people. They're stuck inside that city. They're bad people. But they're in there. We're out here. Why don't we just leave them in there? And life is great out here. Like, wh why do we really need to fight? Like, this is just one of those things. Like, this this seems really pointless. Why do we even need the conflict? And I, I really get that. I think sometimes in, in my life when I see some of these walls kind of in the way, and, and I would imagine, I say, well, it would be great if those walls would come crumbling down. But deep down, I actually am kind of glad that they're there because now I have an excuse. Now I have an excuse. Well, it would be great if I wasn't in debt anymore. But it's really nice that I'm in debt because I don't have to be generous. And I also, I can work at the job that I want and can kind of spend money however I feel like it because... I'm just going to get more debt. It's not like it's going to get... It's already bad. It can't get that much worse. And, and I, there's no way that God can call me to the third world to go and live in, the, in some kind of really poor... Because I can't do it. It's actually impossible. Well, I, I could strike up a relationship with my neighbor who's such a jerk, but the nice thing is he's such a jerk that I don't have to be in a relationship with him. So the fact that that wall is there means that I don't have to take a risk and talk to this man about Jesus and invite him into my life and introduce him to my kids and spend time really building a relationship like that. There are walls in our life that we're kind of glad are there. Even if we say we'd like them torn down, the truth is we're glad they're there because if they ever came down, we'd have to do something. We'd have to step out. We'd have to be bold. We'd have to, we'd have to fight for something that God is calling us to fight for. And I don't know if there's something like that in your life, a barrier that's in the way of what God is calling you to do and you're okay with it. You're not really doing anything to tear it down because you don't want it to come down. 
The people of Israel have to work really hard for this. So by the time they're in a battle, they're probably thinking, I'm really glad I'm in this battle. I'm really glad I'm in this battle, even though if we just walked into it, it would have felt hard and terrible and difficult because we've been walking and walking and walking. I'm, I'm glad that we're finally doing something meaningful and, and powerful. There's this guy I know named Gary uh, who coaches peewee football. He loves peewee football. This is the, my, my favorite thing about coaching peewee football is the moment where the little peewee learns that, that football is about contact. Peewee football is for like eight-year-olds. My friend's a little weird. Eight-year-olds learning to play the game of football because the peewee, of course, believes that peewee football is about the jersey. It's about the helmet and the pads, and they wear it around the house, and they wear it to school, and they try to wear it to, well, to, to bed because that's what my son would absolutely do. And then when it's time for the game, they show up, and there's a game. And there are, there, there's a team, and I'm on a team, and that feels really good. And there are people cheering in the stands, and I get to run around, and it's incredible. And my mom and dad are here, and all of a sudden, contact. And the peewee is down. <laughs> and gets up, and, head, and there's tears in his eyes. It goes, goes to the coach. says, Coach, I don't, I don't feel good. I don't think I should play football anymore. And Gary says, yeah, you know, you don't have to play football anymore. But then you can't wear the jersey. You can't be on the team. So we're a football team. And the jersey is a football jersey. Football is about contact. Because my favorite moment is watching that struggle in the Pee-wee's eyes. Where he decides all of a sudden to go back out there to watch an eight-year-old decide to be brave. Christianity is about contact. It's about contact. A lot of people think it isn't. I think it's about showing up to a church sometimes on Sundays, kind of paying attention sometimes, singing some songs, having some personal spiritual truth out there that kind of matters to us a little bit, reading a book that people have read or something, believing in some God. Christianity is about contact. It's about stepping into a broken world and being people who talk about Jesus. It's about standing up to evil in a broken world and knowing that evil has every intention of tearing you to shreds. Knowing that those walls are there and behind those walls are enemies. And we want to see those torn down so that we can do something in the world, so that we can make an impact in our city. We can make an impact in our families' lives. We can make an impact in our friends' lives. And that might mean starting a nonprofit organization or showing up to a court date and saying, hey, we want to serve more homeless people. And all of your neighbors say, no, you can't serve the homeless. We hate the homeless. And you say, we're trying to take homeless people off the streets. And they say, no. And you think, even if we make it through, even if we can get 100 more beds, now we have to serve 100 more homeless people. Like, we won a battle, and there's still this huge battle that we have to fight. We just, it was the first step in this massive, massive war. There's great stuff happening at the Phoenix Rescue Mission, and the city is against it because we have an enemy that wants to destroy, who wants to ruin lives, who slowly and steadily is doing everything he can to wreck that which is good and beautiful and true in the world. And you and I, you and I have to decide if we just want to wear the jersey or if we want to be about contact. If we want to be people who can step out there and be brave, 
Because every now and again, and I know it's true, we take hits. And some of us go down. And maybe you've been down for a while. Maybe you were aware of all of the walls around you. And you were following God for a while, and it got really hard. And you felt like it wasn't supposed to be hard, and it was. And you're really mad at God. And you also know that it's kind of okay to be mad at God. But you just don't know how to step forward. And all I can tell you is this. If you come back in the game, you're going to get hit again. And again, I don't know if it's challenging. I don't know if it's encouraging. But I just, I guarantee you that it's true. But the story of the book of Joshua, the Israelites are underdogs every time. There's battle after battle after battle after battle. And every time, it's impossible. And every time, it looks like they're going to lose. And every time, the question is this, are you going to follow me or not? And the temptation to maybe just leave these evil people in the city is there. Maybe we just, maybe we leave them alone and we can kind of live our lives and we don't have to be, you know, in contact. But the problem with that is Rahab, the passage of scripture we just read, Rahab is still in the city. I don't know if you remember this, a couple of weeks ago we talked about a woman named Rahab who's in the city of Jericho, this woman who is trapped in a life she doesn't want to be in, who God is trying to save who wants to be a part of the people of Israel, who wants to worship this God. She has saved other people from the evil folks in this city. She is protecting them. She's brought them into her house. She can't get out. No one's getting in. No one's getting out. She is trapped and stuck. If the people of Israel decide to go around Jericho, Rahab is trapped. Rahab is stuck. Someone's got to save her. Someone's got to be willing, willing to breach these walls, willing to fight for someone, willing to save someone. And the amazing thing about this story is that people do. People of Israel go into this city and they rescue Rahab. There's this amazing defeat. And you think about how the story begins and how ridiculous and impossible the whole thing seems. How confident God is, how confident Joshua becomes, and the fact that the walls fall down and the battle doesn't even really feel like a battle. It's just over. All of a sudden they run in and they take the city. That's what it says. And that means that you and I, sometimes when we look at the walls and we're like, man, how could this ever come crumbling on? And if it did, then what would I do? Because it's not like that's, that's really the first step in a crazy, long, difficult process. And we see the obstacle, and we see how big it is, and we just can't imagine ever being victorious over something like this. And it reminds me of the story in the New Testament, uh, in Matthew chapter 16, like verse 16 or so, it start, verse 18 it starts. Peter and Jesus are talking. This is a friend of Jesus. His name is Peter. And they're talking, and Jesus says, so who do you think I am? And Peter says, well, you're the Messiah, Son of God. You're God himself. It's this big moment in the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus goes, finally, we've been talking about this forever. I can't believe, yes, you get it. You know who I am. Now, let me tell you who you are. You're Peter. On this rock, I will build my church. You are rock solid. And I'm going to build my church on this. And the gates of hell will not stand against it. That's a weird thing to say. Why does hell have gates? Is hell in a bad neighborhood? It's weird. Hell has gates. And there's something about Peter saying the name of Jesus, proclaiming who Jesus is, that those gates won't be able to stand up. Here's the thing about gates. Gates are a defensive fortification, exactly like the walls of the city of Jericho. They're defensive fortification. Hell is scared of you, terrified of you, terrified that someday you will realize 
that you are a warrior for the kingdom of God. You are a warrior for the kingdom of God. Terrified that you will realize that there is power in the name of Jesus. Terrified that you're going to start walking around those walls and shouting. Because hell knows that those gates will not be able to stand up to it. And that there are people trapped inside that city. And that if only people would walk around and start shouting the name of Jesus, start shouting it like we believe that there is a God who does impossible things, like there is a God who raises the dead, like there is a God who redeems the irredeemable, and those walls would just come crumbling down. The question is this. Are you ready for contact? Are you ready to step out into a broken world that will try and break you? Secure in the knowledge that there is power in the name of Jesus. That our God is bigger and better than any enemy that would ever dare stand against you or the kingdom of God. Are you ready to shout? Are you ready to see some walls come crumbling down? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for good news in a book like Joshua. And God, I pray where people feel stuck, that you really would send the walls crumbling down, that you would encourage us with community, that, that we would become people who do show up and pray, who are willing to walk and walk and walk in the hope that you'll do something incredible, that we'll walk alongside neighbors in our apartment complex and play cards with them and talk about life, that we'll see baristas in a coffee shop who, who try to talk about what life is going on and, and and really ask questions and really care about who they are, that we'll step into workplaces where, where people really seem hopeless. Be somebody who's constantly bearing witness to the hope of the world. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would make us strong and courageous. We pray that we would believe that there is power in the name of Jesus. And that we would leave, live to see you set people free. That we would live to see you tear down some of the walls in our lives, in our city, our community. In the name of Jesus.